I want to draw your attention to Proverbs, the 14th chapter. Proverbs, the 14th chapter. And uh, I want to read to you one verse from there. I thought it was kind of ironic this week with 9-11, the things that our nation had been through, that our focused verse for this week would be Proverbs 14 and 34. And uh, I'm very thankful for Focus 52. It's, uh, I know sometimes it can be taxing, especially to, uh, to my mother who writes most of our devotionals with Focus 52. But uh, if you will join us in this chapter every week, I want to tell you, it makes a difference in your life. And when you get here on Wednesday night and we're teaching this together, my goodness, it's pretty powerful what the Lord does. Proverbs, the 14th chapter, the 14th chapter and the 34th verse. It says, righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. I can't believe I just said the S word from the pulpit. Sin. Somebody told me the other day, they said, nobody preaches against sin anymore. I said, that's not true. I preach, I'm again it. I'm voting again it. Amen. Righteousness exalteth a nation. But sin is a reproach to any people. Lord bless you. You may be seated tonight. Thank you for standing in honor and respect to the word of the Lord. I don't know how quickly uh, I'll get where I'm wanting to go tonight. But I can tell you that uh, I believe gloomers and doomers are trying to scare us to death and make us believe that the church is losing steam. But I want to tell you what I know to be a fact tonight. The church of the living God is alive and well. That's what I know. Now, if you begin to read statistics about doors that are closing... Ministries that are shutting down, I'll tell you the reason why they're losing steam. They're losing steam because what they tried to use as leverage has become a stumbling block. The days of the big box church that says just come as you are and stay as you are. Be happy, that's what God wants more than anything is for you to be happy. I was reading uh, today in the news that this is the second time in in one year that a pastor has committed suicide. And I'm not going to jump out here and and talk crazy or anything like that. I'm going to let it fall where it it may and be what it is. But I want to tell you that... There is a lot of focus on these two instances 
with the idea that it's all based on mental health. And I want to tell you that it's a dangerous position to take in the body of Christ. And I'm not casting stones at this particular situation. I'm making a blanket statement now. So, But I think it's a dangerous place when we lack discernment. So much so that we are now calling attacks of demonic forces mental issues. I believe in mental health. I believe that there are true needs. And I believe that there are people that really need help. So don't, don't misquote me and don't misunderstand me tonight. But what I'm telling you that I know beyond a shadow of a doubt is that the enemy of our soul is doing everything he can to fight against us, to tear us down. If we have ever ever practice discernment and understanding and wisdom and knowledge, we had better exercise it right now. The Bible leads us to understand that the devil knows he has but a short time. And he's doing everything he can to get to the church. And that's why it is a dangerous place to be in false doctrine. Because you're attaching yourself to the authority of a church, but you are denying the power of godliness. The Bible said that there would be some that have a form of godliness, but would deny the power thereof, and from such, turn away. I'm telling this church tonight, it is a dangerous thing to yoke up with what we call the kingdom of God. And to not be able to discern light from darkness. If you are around the body of Christ, you have just become a target for the enemy. How many stories have we heard that I was doing just fine until I tried to live for the Lord? And as soon as you give your life to the Lord and you start following truth and obeying the word of God, man, the devil brings everything out of the closet he can. He'll come against you in every way that he can. But tonight, we are declaring over this church and over this city that we are wise to the devil's devices. He has done everything he can to intimidate, to create terror in the hearts of people. But we declare tonight, and not redundantly so, not, not as a, a word of rhetoric tonight, but because the word is true, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. I'm telling this body tonight that before the church was ever purchased and the first 120 prayed through to the Holy Ghost, Jesus said that the gates of hell would not prevail against the church. We are living in a day and age where in this wrestling match we call life, it's no holds barred. He'll do whatever he can to distract, disrupt, take us away from our purpose. And one of the ways that he is doing that is by 
bringing us to the place that the Bible said would happen. We would come to a time where men would call good evil and evil good. I want to tell this body tonight that the enemy does not have to make you a Satan worshiper if he can just make black and white gray. I'm not going to get much deeper than that right there. You, 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 don't, you don't have to bow down in, in front of cultish idolatry and bow down to Luciferian doctrine to be lost. There are people that are going to be lost sitting on a church pew every week. But because they lose sight and focus of the most important thing and keeping the main thing the main thing, they're going to get distracted and get sidestepped. And when the Lord comes back looking for a bride, they're not even going to be sure whether or not they're a part of the bride. But I want to tell you tonight, I'm sold out to this thing. I'm not here to date others. I'm not here to try to figure out if there's an easier way. I'm not here tonight to try to figure out if there's a better doctrine. But I feel like Jude tonight. I'm going to earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. Once delivered. I believe that the enemy is using the tool of distraction. In the body of Christ, I don't, I don't know how else to say this uh, without sounding like I'm, I'm repeating myself, but I want to repeat myself until it's good, till we get it down deep in our system. You do not have to stop believing that holiness is right. As long as the enemy can make you start believing that sin isn't wrong. That ought to stir somebody in the Holy Ghost. It's one thing to love holiness. But people can love holiness or the idea of it. You know, I'm going to walk very carefully here because I, I, I certainly, my intention is not offense. If someone's offended I apologize I didn't mean to offend you but I don't apologize for the truth I want to tell you I don't understand people that'll walk out from under the covering of the body of Christ and still continue to dress and act in certain ways like they're still in the body you understand what I'm saying because it's not enough to just say, I believe in holiness. We've had people, and God does neat things, I don't know. But we've had people that have left the church before, backslid, walked, walked far away from God, and continued to pay their tithe for years, but never darkened the doors of the church. What they're saying is they want God 
to be God of their finances so that he can bless their finances. But I want to tell you that tithing is not the only part of this covenant. Tithing's, tithing's part of it. I don't want to rob God. My tithe, my offering. But I don't understand. I don't understand. Paying my tithe so that the devourer doesn't get my finances. But putting no limits on what my children watch in my house. I'm, I'm not here to preach hard tonight. I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not here to jump off the top rope with the elbow. I'm telling you, it makes no sense to me. To live in a society that calls themselves Christian. But when you ask them where they go to church, they don't. When you ask them what they believe, they don't know. So they like the idea of the protection of the body of Christ. They don't want to get far enough away that they can't get back to it if they need to. But it's not enough to love righteousness. You must despise iniquity. It is absolutely possible to love the sinner and despise what they're doing. And you can do that with kindness and you can do that with the grace of God. And you can do that with a meek and humble spirit. Because if we show them a side of us that is unlike our heavenly father, then it is absolutely reversing the idea of what grace is all about and mercy is all about. So we're not so spiritual that we have a right to look down our nose at the person. But we've got to fall in love with righteousness. And despise iniquity. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Again, you've heard me teach this time after time. The point of that was never the commandment. The point was, love me. Because if you love me, commandments aren't a problem. Deuteronomy 6 and 4. Hear Israel, the Lord our God is. And thou shalt. Love the Lord thy God with everything you got. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse number 5 is the epitome of what I'm trying to get to you right here. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Are you ready for some Gerber style? If I'm using all my might to love him, I don't have strength for anything else. I cannot love God and love this present world. I cannot love God and love the things of this world. He has to readjust my ideas and my way of thinking. I can't do what I used to do, not stop anything. Just keep on living the way I used to live. And then Sam say, but I love Jesus. This is, the, this is the, the practical idea of religion. Stay happy. Stay worldly. But do it with Jesus. <laughs> Think about it. 
Your doctrine doesn't matter. Your theology is irrelevant. It doesn't matter if you, if you hold fast to biblical theology that comes straight out of the pages of the scripture or if you hold fast to a theology that was birthed out of a creed, any number of creeds that you want to find. It really doesn't matter as long as Jesus is what you want him to be for you. So, there are so many different ways to God. And the important thing is that we all believe that there is a heaven. And at the end of the race, when you cross your finish line, when you get to heaven, boy, if somebody cut that video clip out right there and used that against me, would that be something? Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Understand me when I tell you tonight, there are not multiple paths to God. You can't choose who you want to be the creator. There's theology floating around right now that the creator created a creator to create. That's how we explain John chapter 1. That all things were created by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. That Jesus was not God, but that God created Jesus so he could create. What in the world is wrong with us? We're distracted. That's what's wrong with us. We're distracted. And we're looking towards the well-watered plains of Sodom. And trying to figure out the fastest way to grow a church. And the easiest way to fill up a pew. But I'm telling you tonight, we're not doing anybody favors by filling up a pew with people. And telling them to love God and love iniquity. Oh my. It's Wednesday night. So y'all just kind of got to hang out with me a little bit. Now I, I want to I want to uh, I want to bring up something that I've I've heard Brother Stephen mention in Bible class, but I want to get the story right. So there's going to be probably a couple glances over here. And in one of the classes that he was taking, and that it's kind of irrelevant which one, I don't know. He was having a conversation uh, with with one of the, the professors, if I remember right. And he made the statement that if you tell people they don't have to do anything to be saved, right, then they won't. Is that, was that the statement? Is that correct? He said that if we, if we tell people you don't have to do anything to serve the Lord, then they won't. And my understanding is he was alluding to the fact that that's why churches are emptying out. Because the idea is, if he's going to reach down in the miry clay and pick me up out of it, there's got to be a better reason than giving me chills up my spine. 
Folks, he doesn't pick me up out of the muck and the mire of sin and clean me up and then say, but if you want to, you can stay right there and I'll still love you that way. I believe with all my heart that it is the will of God when we come out of the world to come out of the world. When he brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, he took them through the water of the Red Sea. That's why baptism is essential. In Jesus' name, if you pass through the water, it's for more than just the miracle. The Bible said that he buried Pharaoh, the horse, and the rider in that Red Sea. Red Sea, watery grave, the blood of Jesus. I believe it is the will of God when you walk out of Egypt and go down in that water, that when you come up out of the water, you are not turning back and going to where you came from, but you are moving in a new direction. said your fathers of old they all passed through the water and they got under the cloud we can see clearly that the image of godliness is leave Egypt pass through the water and get under the cloud of the Holy Spirit and let God lead you you don't get up and move your tent whenever you want to move your tent. Moses said, we're going to surround the glory of God and we're going to watch for the glory cloud of God. And we don't move until the Holy Ghost moves. And when God starts moving, we start moving. But until then, we stand still. It's time that the body of Christ be led by the Spirit of the living God again. Where are the weepers and the warriors that will stand at their tent door for their family and say, God, what are you speaking over my family? What are you speaking over the body of Christ? I want to go where you're going. So what happens when we get distracted? What happens is, before we ever realize it, the children of Israel who are called, like no other people, to be a people unto God. In 732 B.C. found out that if you go, now this is King James language, if you go a whoring after other gods long enough, And turn your back on God long enough. The scripture said that he will raise the hedge from around you. This is not the kind of theology that people want to talk about today. You can love who you want to love and do what you want to do and be what you want to be. But the Lord just wants you to be happy. So what happens is the children of Israel. They're using it first. The name of God. And then their language somehow gets so confusing. Because they go from using the ineffable name of God to all of a sudden, and this is the fast forward version because i got to get to where I'm going. All of a sudden, he's not the only God that comes up in conversation. And somehow they begin to speak of the God of Molech. Begin to speak of the idols of Baal, 
And by the time we get to the book of 2 Kings, we understand with great understanding that God lifted the hedge from around the children of Israel. And he said, if you don't want my protection in your life, then let's let Molech be your protector. If you don't want my hedge of protection, then let Baal be your hedge of protection. And the word of the Lord said that as their language begins to change, and they're no longer talking about the one true living God, Jehovah God, the God of all glory, the only wise God, the only living God. Boy, I wish I had about an hour. By 2 Kings chapter 16, Scripture said that the Assyrians came in. It's about 732 B.C. They come in, begin to take everything and anything they want. Sacred vessels, things that were to be used for the children of God, for a holy people. And now unholy hands are handling holy things. My greatest fear in the spiritual side of my life, and I don't say this tonight to sound like I'm scared to death, but I'm telling you, in a lot of ways I am. My greatest fear is to miss the Lord. My greatest fear as a pastor is to miss the Lord. That's why I don't believe in praying to get something to preach. I believe in praying to pray. (laughs) I don't believe in studying the book to get something to preach. I believe in studying to live. If the only time we pick up our Bibles is while the word's being preached or trying to find something to preach, we've already failed. If God is the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth thing on your mind in the morning, that's too far. Come on, somebody. If he's the second thing on your mind, how long is it going to take before he's the third thing on your mind? Fourth thing. Mm. I had somebody call me some time ago, and I... I'll keep my mouth sealed on, I don't want to hurt nobody's feelings. They called me and said, I'm having difficulty praying. I said, well, tell me about it. They said, well, when I came home from work, by the time I get home, I'm so exhausted, I just can't pray. And I said, I've already got it figured out. They said, oh, really? What's the the fix? I said, sounds like to me, God's the last thing you do. You get up, face the day. Go to work and then come home and say, Lord, I hope my day was blessed. It's pretty scary. Isn't this something? We'll give him the first of our finances. I don't know why he keeps coming back to this. We'll give him the first of our finances. But he gets the last of our day. Is that simple country boy right there or what? 
Are you a fisherman? Oh, man. I got Cabela's rods. I got the nicest reels. You, man, I've got a $450 reel. I don't. I can catch one on Zebco 606 or whatever it is. But I don't ever fish anymore. I got the equipment, but I don't fish. Are you a fisherman? No, but I got the equipment. It's out in my garage. Got a boat? Nope. But boy, I love to fish. You don't love to fish, you'd be fishing. <laughs> Are you a prayer warrior? Oh man, we used to pray. I never missed a Thursday night. Well, how was it last week? I don't know, I wasn't there. How long can you leave your tackle equipment in the garage before you're no longer a fisherman? How long can you put the armor of God away in a closet before you're not a soldier anymore? Oh, I want the Holy Ghost to help somebody in this house tonight. It is the will of God that He's the first thing on our mind every morning and the last thing on our mind every night. He's not just the God of my waking hours. He's the God of my dreams. He's the God of my sleep. He's the God of my home. He's the God of my job. Everything I do revolves around Him. Woo! Man, I feel the Holy Ghost in here tonight. How long do you have to put Him off before He's not the only God in your life? Look, just because your cousin offers their children to Molech doesn't mean that you have to endorse them doing that. You don't have to offer your kids. Can I tell you that Paul wrapped this thing up in Romans chapter 1? It's the same idea. You don't have to offer your kids. Just take pleasure in the fact that your cousin's okay because he did. Romans chapter 1, Paul lights it up. He says, starts talking about all the filth and all the things they're partaking of. He said, these are, these are people that are vile and filthy. He said, but those who take pleasure in their evil deeds, their latter end will be worse than the ones that did the deed. It does not take long for an entire movement to be affected that he is not the one true living God in our movement anymore. But it happens one saint at a time. One cold, carnal preacher at a time. Mm. How long does it take before a nation forgets the Lord? Look, tonight our text, righteousness exalts a nation. Sin is reproached to any people. Write this down. This is book. Put it down. Right here. I'm going to tell you. Exaltation and shame. They can't run together in the same race. Reproach and exaltation, can't go, they can't go together. God's not going to exalt you 
while you esteem the reproach of the wicked as okay. Am I helping anybody? So, the story goes that the Lord just lifts the hedge from them and they kind of decide that they don't really like this way of life. So by the time we get to the book of Isaiah chapter 9 and verse number 10, this is what they say in Isaiah chapter 9 and 10. They say, well, the bricks are falling down, but we will build with hewn stones. Sycamores are cut down, but we will change them into cedars. Not Bible, but commentary said that this was the, the idea and the personality of the children of Israel once they had turned their back on God and God had lifted his hand off of them instead of saying, Lord, we repent for what caused you to lift the hedge. The best thing we know to do is to just rebuild. The bricks were made of hay and clay put together. So they said instead of that, since that fell apart, let's go get a hewn stone. Because that's a more solid foundation. What does this have to do with us? Well, I'm glad you asked. In Isaiah chapter 9, as the personality of the people begins to be revealed, it simply said, we will rebuild. In calamity... Turning our back against God. Let's just rebuild. On 9-11-2001, without even knowing, we were in conversation last night about people being used either by the Lord or by the enemy, and they, they don't even know it because they don't have a relationship with God or whatever it may be. In other words, I don't believe the Antichrist, if he's alive now, knows that he's the Antichrist. These people, I want, to, I want you to hear this, on 9-11-2001, the mayor of New York City, in the wake of the attack, quotes Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 10. He says, we will, we will rebuild. The state senior senator gives his public speech and he says, we will rebuild. The state governor, New York, we will rebuild and we will move forward. The state's junior senator, we will rebuild. The city's mayor at the time of the rebuilding, he said, we will rebuild, renew, and remain the capital of the free world. On September the 11th, 2001, the president of the United States said, we will rebuild. Over and over. It happened in the Senate. Senators and congressmen. In the opening of their statements, they make prayerful statements according to the scripture written in the book of Isaiah. 
The bricks have fallen, but we will rebuild. I want to tell you tonight, I'm not saying that 9-11 was the judgment of God, but neither was the Assyrians attacking Israel. God didn't judge the Israelites. He lifted his hand of protection. What we don't understand about holiness and separation unto the one true living God is this is really not just about the judgment of the Lord. That's going to happen on that great and terrible day. But if you're so worried about judgment, I want to tell you, you hadn't seen nothing until he lifts his hand off the people. And the heart of humanity has always been, if our world is attacked, let's just rebuild. But we find out that rebuilding is not what brings the hand of the Lord. It's not rebuilding. It is repentance. The drug addict goes to court. And the judge says, you're going to get a year in jail. So before they go, they come to church. God, please get me out of this mess. Please get me out of this. Please get me out. Please get me out. So the heart of the judge is turned. Two months, they're not in the house of the Lord. You know why? They're not repenting. They're rebuilding. Everybody doing all right? I'm about finished. Bricks are falling in my life, man. I'm a mess. Everything's tore up from the floor up. It's a mess. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm just going to rebuild. But this time I'm going to build stronger. And what people don't even realize they're doing is they're taking the bricks of their life that the enemy has knocked down and they're getting hewn stone. And they're getting something that's harder, more difficult, more powerful. Uh, I'd rather hear the New Testament. Okay, let's get in the New Testament. The New Testament says that if God delivers you from that spirit and you come back to that spirit, that it's going to bring seven spirits with it much stronger. Am I in the, am I in the book? So we're not doing any favors by rebuilding. We've got to get a move of repentance working in our life. Listen, repentance is not a prayer. It's a lifestyle. It's a daily check of saying, God, am I right with you? Is everything okay with me and you today? God, if I've turned it all, if there's been an aberration in my ways at all, if I've been fickle in my mind, if I've turned at all, God, I want to come back in alignment. It is a work of repentance, not a prayer of repentance. Pull me back together. Use me, God. Draw me back into your presence. I don't just want him to bless me and reward me. I want to find out what he's blessing and what he's rewarding and go do that. I wish I really had time. If, if, if you want to connect some dots, it's pretty incredible. And I'm not trying to sell a book. And I'm not saying I agree with every single thing that he says and teaches, I, I, I really don't know for sure, but there's, there's a man by the name of Jonathan Kahn. He's a Jewish rabbi, pastor. Very, very powerful man. 
in his book, The Harbinger, he begins to connect dots to ancient Israel in 732 B.C. and New York City. But I want to show you something that's pretty incredible. Isaiah 9 and 10. We read this uh, just a few moments ago. The bricks are falling. So what we're going to do is go get some hewn stone. That's what they said. We're going to get hewn stone. Instead of repenting. Instead of saying, God, we're sorry. We'd rather have your hand on us than we would a tower. We're just going to go get hewn stones and be sure that we've got a stronger foundation for our life. I don't know how many of you remember this, that I remember it so vividly. The day that they went to the Adirondack Mountains and they hewn out, they, they hewed out a great big massive stone and they brought it to ground zero where they were going to build Freedom Tower. My wife and I were there before they finished it. They got a hewn stone out of the Adirondack Mountains. And brought that and made it the cornerstone. The New York governor said, and I quote, Today, we take 20 tons of Adirondack granite, the bedrock of our state, and place it as the foundation, the bedrock of a new symbol of American strength and confidence. Is it just an accident? That as the bricks lay fallen in the streets of New York City, that the only thing they can say is, let's go hew out a stone. It is the nature of people that when your world falls apart, you just start rebuilding. But I'm going to throw a little book at you tonight. And I want to tell you that except the Lord build the house. They that labor, they are laboring in vain. The Lord Jesus Christ said that the kingdom of heaven is like two men that built a house. One built their house on the sand and the other built his house on the rock. But when the storm came and the floods came, the house that was built on the sand, it crumbled to the ground. We're not doing ourselves any favors by getting a hewn rock and placing it on a sandy foundation. I want the Lord to build my house. The exact words that were spoken. Listen to this. I'm quoting this. Speaking of the cornerstone, today we, the heirs of that revolutionary spirit of defiance, lay this cornerstone. End quote. We, the recipients, the heirs of the revolutionary spirit of defiance lay the cornerstone. What are you defying? Well, we're defying the fact that our wall was breached. Our nation was breached. They came in and tore it down. 
I wish so bad I had the time to break all this stuff down for you. It's 9-11. It's been on my heart and my mind today. How incredible that our Proverbs 14-34. Incredible. Understand me when I tell you folks that the founding fathers of this nation, our very first president, George Washington, when he was elected as the president of the United States, there was not a District of Columbia yet. Guess where the capital was? Manhattan. And guess where they met? Right where Ground Zero area is, if you've been in that part of Manhattan. He walked out of the meeting, and he kneels down, historians say, right almost exactly in the spot where all the chaos was in New York City. He kneels down. Our first president kneels down on his knees in New York City and he asked God for guidance for wisdom and for direction but when we get to the place that we don't need his guidance we don't need his wisdom and we don't need his direction then we don't need his hedge either I've asked the Lord to rest on this place tonight. I wept over this congregation this morning. I don't want you to think that I'm saying this in false humility. I'm telling you with every ounce of breath that's in my body. I can't lead this church on my own. I can't preach this message on my own. I don't want to try. But if we have ever needed the wisdom, and the direction, and the understanding of the Holy Ghost, we need it right now. I feel the Holy Ghost right now. I don't want to lead a church or a people that are in love with the concept of growth more than they're in love with the concept of God. I want to stand on a solid foundation that does not require a creed, a thesis. Or anything else to describe my creator and my maker. I'm going to stand on the canon of the scripture. On the 66 books of God breathed and God inspired infallible pages. I believe with every fiber of my being. That we don't need. To help the message. And we don't need to prop God up. We just need to let him be God. And take him at his word. I'm asking this church to help your pastor tonight. And I want to tell you that we have no right to call on God to move on our nation. If we as the body of Christ 
don't learn how to embrace holiness and godliness and despise iniquity. We can't look at the world and condemn them for their iniquity. I'm, I'm closing. I'm finished. How many times have we, we heard it preached? I've preached in this church I don't know how many times. God did not destroy Sodom because of homosexuality, sexuality, sin, and perversion. The first sin in Sodom, read it for yourself in the scripture, it said that their gods were their bellies. They had no self-discipline and no self-denial. A generation of people that could not fast, they couldn't help themselves from sexuality. But the judgment of the Lord is held back. And God has a conversation with Abraham. And Abraham says, Lord, what would it take for you to save Sodom? The Lord makes no reference to the sin of Sodom. He says, Abraham, if you'll find me some righteous people that'll stand up and be righteous, I'll save the city. What about 50, Lord? I'd do it for 50. All the way down. I said, what about for 10? He said, if you'll find me 10 righteous people that know better and that will stand up and not only love righteousness, but despise iniquity, I'll save the city. When we as a body of Christ are trying to explain away to people why convictions that used to be necessary are not necessary anymore. And doctrines that used to be necessary are not necessary anymore. You know what we're doing? We're asking God to lift His hand up off the body of Christ. We are asking the Lord to raise the floodgates and let it walk through the door of the church. But I'm declaring to you tonight that if we're going to have revival in our city, it's not going to be because of the votes that we cast. If we're going to have revival in this nation, it's not going to be because of the votes you cast it's going to be because we as the children of God stand up and love righteousness I'm asking you to stand all across this room right now God, I don't want to be an heir of the revolutionary spirit of defiance. That is not my desire tonight, Father. My desire is to be a joint heir with you. I want revival in my city. I want revival in my region and revival in this nation. But God, that revival starts in my house. I don't want to just love holiness. I want to despise iniquity. Come on, church. God shouldn't have to beg us to seek Him tonight. I'm going to ask you a question. And I mean this sincerely. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to sound cute and funny and Nothing. I, I, I'm just telling you, I, I, wanna, I, wanna, I want you to think about this in your heart. If 9-11-2001, 18 years ago, did not turn this nation to the Lord, what will?
if 9-11, 18 years ago, didn't wake the church up? I mean, what? I'm, I'm being sincere. I'm not. If that didn't wake up the body of Christ, what's going to, I mean, what's God going to have to let happen? What's going to have to transpire? How many funerals have we preached? Where people get inspired at the funeral. And they seek God and in three months they forgot all about it. Oh God, I'm so heavy tonight. I'm just giving you a window into my heart tonight. Because I've been seeking God. But if in the last 18 years we haven't grown closer to holiness and further from the world but rather closer to the world and further from holiness, what's he going to have to do? Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Righteousness exalts a nation. Sin is a reproach to any people. I want the conviction power of the Holy Ghost to begin to grip our hearts. I'm not talking about tonight in this meeting. I'm talking about every day. I want to live every day with eternity in view. Church family, I've read, I've seen, I've watched, I've listened. I believe the Lord could come back in 2033. I believe He could come back in 2067. But I also believe he can come back September the 11th, 2019. We got to get over this junk of thinking that we've got it all figured out and the, the temple's going to be finished and everything's going to happen before the coming of the Lord. You know what? That may very well be the case. And I'm going to keep studying because I enjoy it. But I'm going to tell you how I've lived all my life and I'm going to keep living this way. I'm watching Jerusalem every single day. But before I look at Jerusalem, I'm watching the eastern sky. I believe he could come back right now. I believe he could come back. I believe the trumpet could sound while we're sitting in this room right now. And we got to get back to living that way. We got to get back to believing that way. Because even if it's not the trumpet sounding, can you imagine 3,000 people on September the 10th, 2001? 3,000 people went to bed and said, I'm going to work tomorrow. And they never went to bed September the 11th, 2001. 3,000 people. Revive us, Lord. Revive us, Lord. Revive us, Lord. Revive us. She had a bacata satanaba. He had a bosoto yaraba satanaba shatakai.
That's it. Cry out to the Lord. What if tonight was the night? Oh God, I can't even speak of that without without weeping. What if tonight? What if tonight was a night? Am I ready to meet the Lord right now? I had to stand before the throne of the Almighty God tonight. Would He look at me and say, Enter in, thou good and faithful servant? Or would there be a question mark on my character? And He would say, Depart from me, I don't even know you. Oh God, I'd do everything. If I hadn't been baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost, I'd be sure I was ready tonight. If I hadn't repented of my sin and forgiven somebody that did me wrong tonight, I'd get right with God. Oh Lord. I want you to examine your heart right now and ask the Lord that same question that we've been pondering. God, if that didn't wake us up, what's it going to take to wake me up? What's it going to take to wake up the church? What's it going to take to wake up the body of Christ? How high do you have to lift the hedge? how, How far do you have to remove your hand from us? Before we realize, God, we've got to love you. We've got to give you everything we have. If we as a nation, we as the people of God will fall to our knees in repentance, fall in love with the Lord Jesus Christ all over again, I believe it will turn the heart of God. I know you're probably tired tonight. I know, I know you're probably weary. But I, could I inconvenience you one more time? Just ask you to lift your hands to Jesus. Could I do that? Oh. God, I want my heart to be right. God, I want you to check my heart my spirit right now. I want to be right. I want my mind to be in the right place. I don't want to set evil before my eyes. I want to be holy and righteous. I want to give you my very best, God. What are you holding back from the Lord tonight that would keep you from making it if this was the night? What is it? He told that rich young ruler, he said, One thing thou lackest. What is the one thing, rich young ruler? What is it? One thing kept him out of heaven. One thing. God, what is it tonight in my life? I want to be right. I want to lay my head down on my pillow and know tonight, God, that I'm right with you, that my heart's right. 